There's a, a group of us in my family that's been doing a memory verse challenge using a, a smartphone app called Scripture Typer. I mean, it's a great tool uh, for anyone who wants to be intentional about memorizing uh, verses and, and keeping up to date and, and reviewing, uh, reviewing the ones you have. Anyways, for part of our challenge, we decided that each uh, member of the family would get to pick a verse from the book of Proverbs that then everybody would have to memorize. And I chose Proverbs 28.1, which says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And I like that verse because, you know, I, I've seen the truth of it, not, not only in others around me, but in my own life. You know, when, when you've done something wrong, you're always looking over your shoulder. You feel like, you know, someone's watching you. You're jumpy. You're nor- nervous. You're always wondering when you're going to get caught. And you know what else? You, you hear accusations in everything that people say. Right? Somebody can say something totally innocent, and you're like, what? What do you mean by that? You know? Why? Because your guilt is always pursuing you. But if you've not done anything wrong, man, you can walk around in complete confidence. You're tooling down the highway of life, and all of a sudden red lights start flashing behind you. You can just smile and kind of pull over because you know it's not for you. You haven't done anything wrong. That cop can go by and get whoever the perpetrator is. It's a great feeling. You are bold as a lion. I thought about that verse this week as I began studying and preparing for Today's message, Daniel and the Lion's Den, is perhaps the most well-known story from the book of Daniel, <coughs> Excuse me, which is saying a lot when you consider how many people have heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but uh, I- I've been looking forward to, to covering this story since we began this series on living life with character and conviction. So grab your Bibles, open up to Daniel chapter 6. That way you're able to follow along with the story as I'm uh, telling it and and, uh, quoting a few of the verses as we go along. If you uh, weren't with us last time, which was two weeks ago since since we were uh, gone, uh, DJ and I were gone last week, um, we left Daniel. Daniel had gone from being a teenager uh, captive uh, under Nebuchadnezzar in the court of Babylon to having served six different kings now, the latest of which is a guy named Darius, who is not even a Babylonian anymore. He's a Mede because the Medes and the Persians came in and conquered the land. And somehow, Daniel landed on his feet through all of this, even though at this point now, he's he's an 80-year-old man, over 80 years old. And, And landing on his feet probably had something to do with the fact that Daniel served well. I mean, he was a good employee. He showed up on time. He didn't call in sick because he'd stayed up all night playing video games. He uh, did all the work that was assigned to him uh, with excellence. 
we've seen that before in the book. We'll see it again here in chapter 6, verse 3. It says, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. See, as Christians, our hard work and our commitment to doing the job well ought to distinguish us among us, uh, our co-workers. We should be the kind of worker that every boss dreams that he would have. And, and, and if you uh, are an employer, you should be the kind of boss that every worker wishes he had. Verses 1 and 2 kind of describe the work Daniel was doing. Darius had decided to decentralize the government just a bit. He appointed 120 satraps uh, over the kingdom and then three commissioners over those 120 guys. And Daniel was one of those three. And Daniel was doing such a great job that now the king had decided, well, I'm going to go ahead and name Daniel as head over even all these commissioners, which would make him the number two guy in the kingdom. And this did not set well with the other two commissioners and a bunch of the satraps. So they decided Daniel had to go. They were going to take him down. And they thought the best way to achieve this goal would be through a full-fledged investigation into his life looking for any ethics violations. Look out verse 4. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation of or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So right there, you have the very first miracle occurring in Daniel chapter 6. An honest politician. (laughs) When Daniel said, Hi, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you, he really meant it. It it, it was true. True. He was honest. He was trustworthy. And and think about what this verse is saying. Here's a bunch of guys digging into his past, digging into his work history and into his habits. And their conclusion was they could find no grounds for accusation. And you know what? It doesn't take a whole lot of grounds just to make an accusation, right? I mean, think, think of what happens in our own government and politics today. There doesn't have to be a great deal of grounds to make any type of accusation. All you need is a suspicion, a maybe, just a, a hint of impropriety to make that accusation, right? But they couldn't even find that. And as they kept on digging, they, they came to the conclusion that there was no evidence of, of any corruption, And that was really unheard of in those near Middle Eastern governments like that. I mean, they had a worse reputation for graft and fraud and bribery than than like even Chicago. I mean, it was bad. But with Daniel, they found out that he was faithful. There was no negligence in him. Faithful is, is what we were talking about earlier when you know he sh- shows up every day on time, did the work that's assigned to him. No negligence means that he didn't cut any corners. He didn't say, oh, that's close enough when he knew he could do it better. He didn't extend his coffee break for an extra four or five minutes because, you know, I just really need to relax a little bit extra today. He didn't do that kind of stuff. You know, when I, just after I finished college, I, I worked at Black Hills Packing 
uh, company, which is now defunct. Hopefully, no correlation be, uh, there between that. But uh, they were up in Rapid City, and um, I would go to check out at night, and I'd see a bunch of guys standing around the time clock, just standing there with their time cards in their hand, waiting. And so finally, one day I asked, well, what are you doing? And one of the guys told me, well, they, your pay is determined in 15-minute increments. And the time clock rounds it to the nearest 15 minutes. So if you check out at 5.07, it's going to be rounded back to 5. But if you check out at 5.08, it'll be rounded to 5.15. So they were all standing around for that 8-minute mark so they could get an extra 15 minutes of pay. Daniel didn't do that. He never tried to cheat the boss out of a little extra pay. And and no matter how hard these men tried, they could find nothing to bring Daniel down. And again, what a a great application uh, for us in terms of a, a Christian work ethic. But the result of all this was that they determined that they would need then some other way, some other means to accuse him. So look at verse 5. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Wow, think, think about that statement, right? Daniel's work ethic was so good, his life was so squeaky clean that these conspirators knew their only chance of tripping him up was in regard to his faith. Meaning that they recognized that that Daniel's faith was so important to him that he would not allow anything, anything to deter him from following and worshiping God. I mean, wouldn't that be a marvelous thing if that were true of each of us? If the only means someone had of finding accusation against us was if somehow Christianity was outlawed or or some tenet or aspect of following Jesus was made illegal. And other than that, they just couldn't find anything wrong in our lives. Our tax returns are always honest. We're above bribery and cheating. Our moral life is rock solid. I I, I would hope that when people look at me, they would come to that conclusion that that Jesus Christ is so important to me that if following Christ was made illegal, that would be the only thing that would make me a criminal. Now again, this doesn't mean that we're perfect and that we we don't stumble and fall, but that there's just none of these things in our life that would trip us up. That's, that's the conclusion they came to with Daniel. So they laid a trap for them. They knew that Daniel prayed. How did they know that? Well, they'd been investigating the guy for who knows how long, days and days, weeks and weeks. And guess what? They saw him praying consistently, habitually, daily. He was praying. So they figured, oh man, this will be the easy way uh, to trip him up. And the first step, of course, was bringing the king in um, on, on the plan because only the king uh, could make a binding law. So uh, uh, according to verse 7, here's how they did that because they knew the king liked him because the king was planning on making Daniel, you know, number two guy over the kingdom. So they showed up in the front of the king and they said, all the commissioners of the kingdom, 
the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together. Let's let's stop right there in the middle of the verse for a second, right? All of the commissioners, all the high officials. Well, what about Daniel? Yeah, he wasn't in on this. He was left in the dark about this, this whole thing, right? Uh, they wanted the king to believe that every single one of them had agreed to this plan. But, but Daniel clearly was left out. They just blatantly lied in order to further their cause against Daniel. And you know what? That should not surprise us. Jesus made what some might consider a rather startling pronouncement just shortly before his arrest and and crucifixion. He said, And you will be hated by all because of my name. And now the context of of that statement is that as the end draws closer, that's what we can expect, to to be hated by people because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, for most of our history as Americans, we've been rather pampered in this regard, haven't we? In fact, for many, many years, many decades, the Christians were looked up to and admired in America. Over the last a few decades, Christians have been more or less tolerated as long as you know, we don't vocalize our beliefs too loudly or this type of thing. But recently, there's more and more evidence to indicate that that scale is really beginning to tip towards hatred. And we all have to ask ourselves, am I willing to be hated because of Jesus Christ? Now, understand what I'm saying here. Not hated because we're obnoxious jerks or because we're hypocritical, uh, uh, judgmental uh, creeps or because we're mean-spirited bigots. If we're those things, then then we kind of deserve to be hated. But if you're nice, you're good, gentle, loving person, Fulfilling the commands of Christ to love your neighbor as yourself. Are you willing to be hated because of Jesus? And, you know, we we can't just gloss over that question. I mean, this is something you really have to answer because our culture is heading in that direction. There's many places in the world that's already there. And if you're like me, you don't like to be hated. Certainly we shouldn't seek to be hated. But are you willing? Because see, if you're not willing to be hated, what that means is you're willing to compromise if the situation would call for it. Daniel 
was willing to be hated. So these guys, they show up before the king and started lying that everybody was on board about this idea. And then they present the, the, the plan to Darius. They said, we think that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, the, the, the Medes and the Persians, they didn't normally deify their rulers. So it's not necessarily that they were saying at this point that, hey, you, O Darius, you're a god and everybody has to pray to you. It could be that what they were saying uh, is that you, Darius, are the means, you're the conduit uh, through which the gods can be, uh, can be um, uh, contacted. Uh, you remember, the, uh, just like the Chaldeans, these Medes and Persians were polytheistic, and they believed in lots and lots of gods. So they might have been saying, there is only one mediator between man and the gods, and you, Darius, are it. That certainly would have appealed to his ego. And, and politically, it wasn't such a bad idea. I mean, they had just come in and, and hostily taken over the country, and so this would be a way to, to get everybody focused and unified and, and, and together again. Whatever the case, whether they were uh, making Darius out to be a god or just a mediator to the gods, what this rule meant was that nobody could pray to anyone but Darius for 30 days. And the penalty was being thrown into a lion's den, which presumably, even though it's not stated, would lead to a relatively quick but very unpleasant death. The Medes and the Persians had an interesting rule of law, unlike the Chaldeans, that put a bit of a check on the king's power. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, he could make a law one day and then the next day he could totally reverse it and change his mind and make another law. He could do whatever he wanted as king. But as the Medes and the Persians, once a document had been signed into law by the king, it could not be changed even by the king himself. So it was a very serious matter. And Darius, he was convinced and, and by these lies and bought into the plan and so he signed the document into law. So what would Daniel do now? Well, verse 10 tells us, Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. So he, he blatantly disregarded the law. And I hope you know that as followers of God, of Jesus Christ, we should have a great respect for the law. We are encouraged in Scripture to be good citizens. We are told to respect those who are in authority, and we are commanded to obey the laws of the land. Uh, the most direct and explicit treatment of this issue is, is found in Romans chapter 13. 
where it says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. And this was written uh, to those people living under the Roman rule and Roman emperors who were anything but godly people. And yet the text goes on to say, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. And yet here we have Daniel defying the order of law. So is he going to receive condemnation for that, as Romans 13.2 states? Well, let's finish the story, and we're going to come back to that question. The conspirators who uh, set Daniel up were, were waiting and watching for Daniel to break the law. And they, they didn't have to wait very long because Daniel kept praying as he was accustomed to praying three times every day. And after catching him in the act, they drag him to Darius and they say, hey, you remember that law that you signed uh, saying that nobody could pray to anybody except for you for the next 30 days? Well, somebody has already broken the law and so now you have to throw them in the lion's den just like you said. And just as the law requires. And when Darius found out that it was Daniel, he, he was devastated because he liked Daniel. He recognized Daniel as a quality, good leader. And I'm sure at this point, he also figured out that he'd been set up by these other commissioners. But he was bound by the law of the Medes and the Persians. It was determined, and he couldn't do anything about it, and so he kept the law. Daniel was arrested, and he was tossed into the lion's den, and it was sealed so that nobody could tamper with it. Now, me, if, as I'm reading the story, I want to find out exactly what happened to Daniel once he was tossed in with uh, that pit with, with all the lions. I want to know all the details. Exactly how did that work out? But we don't get one word of that from the Bible. I mean, as you're reading through this story, all we get to read about is what a miserable night the king had. And I'm thinking, really? I mean, the, the, the hero of the story is thrown into a pit of lions and we get to read about how the king couldn't sleep or eat? I, I, I want to know what happened. How, how did this work down there? I, I mean, I'm asking Daniel about this when I get to heaven because I got to know. The Bible, it really doesn't give us one clue concerning the details of how this happened. All we know is that the next morning, the king runs straight to the pit and he calls out, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said, yo, dude, no problem. <laughs> okay, that's a bit of a... a, a you know, loose translation. Um, what, what Daniel actually said was, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Well, you know, that doesn't give us a lot of detail because last time I checked, lions have claws and other things, you know. So um, he shut the, the mouths and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. 
Well, the king was, you know, he's thrilled about this. And he had Daniel pulled out from the lion's den and, uh, you know, because he'd already served his sentence. And uh, Darius also showed his fury uh, by having those corrupt government officials and leaders who had set Daniel up tossed back into the lion's den. Look at verse 24. The king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now, if it seems kind of cruel for the wives and the kids to be thrown to the lions, that's because it is. That's really cruel. In God's law, it was forbidden for wives and for children to be punished for the sins of their fathers. But these pagan nations that were surrounding Israel, they didn't have any such restrictions. And whole families were often exterminated because of one man's sin. Now, for these conspirators... It was lights out. But for Daniel, it was a complete vindication. He was elevated to that position of second command, and the king recognized the awesomeness of God. Now, as in the previous stories we've looked at, it's pretty unlikely that any of us are going to be threatened with being thrown into a lion's den. There's still application from this story for our life. Now, I've got three of them that I want to highlight. Number one, you're never too old, never too young to take a stand for God. Daniel was over 80 years old when he chose to face the lions rather than compromise his faith. He was probably around 17 years old when he refused to eat the king's food that had been sacrificed to idols when he had first brought to the land. And in both cases, the consequences for him could easily have been death. But from young to old, Daniel stood firm. Now, if you're a a child or a young person here today, it's pretty easy to think that I'll get serious about God later. Maybe after high school, or after college, or after I get married, or after I get in my job, or after this, or after that. Let me challenge you, the time to get serious about your faith and about following Jesus Christ is right now. And one of the main reasons why is because you don't know what's coming around the corner. You don't know what's in the road that might test your faith. And when the testing comes, well, that's the wrong time to try to figure out how to make your faith strong. You need to have it strengthened before the trial descends. And if you're here and you're towards the other end of life from being a child, it gets easy to reason... You know, I've already put in my days of labor. It's, it's time for me to step back a little, maybe relax a bit, to let the younger generation, get, let them get involved in the fight for faith. But Daniel shows us that's not true. There's 
a wisdom that comes with age and long years of walking with God. There's a strength of spirit that can only be developed over time. And, and those things need to be passed on to others. You know, our, our culture, it, it tends to, to dismiss people as they get older. But biblically, there's great value assigned to those who have a whole lot of candles on their birthday cake. So how can you mentor and encourage those are, who are following behind you in the faith. What high-impact ways might you be able to make a stand for God right now? Maybe it would be in what Betty and I were talking about this morning, in sharing what you've gone through and how God has happened to work in your life. How can you best use your time and your resources to influence the kingdom of God. You're never too old. You're never too young. Now is the time to follow Jesus. Number two, you need to develop habits that build a strong spiritual life. Daniel didn't just happen to be spiritually strong because he somehow got lucky, right? His life was built on habits that strengthened his face. The, the conspirators, they knew they could catch Daniel praying. Why? Because they saw him praying consistently, habitually, daily. It was his regular practice. And, and maybe you're saying, well, yeah, but it's the praying that got him in trouble, right? No. It's praying is what prepared him to face the lions. And at that moment, he didn't know that God was going to save him. But as he was flung into that lion pit, there's no indication that he gave in to his fears or, or panic or, or began wailing and begging for his life. Like many martyrs of the faith, he faced death with that calm assurance that God was all he needed. And he could do that because he had developed habits that built spiritual strength. So what habits are you cultivating in your life to build your faith? C coming to church on a regular basis, that's a, a good start. Participating in a ministry or with a ministry team in a mission activity of the church, that, that's even better. Get involved. But developing personal daily habits of knowing God's Word and communing with Him through prayer, I mean, that's... That's what will change your life. And like Daniel, you'll be prepared to face anything that comes your way. And if you've never done that, if you've never created those habits, we have tools here at the church. We'd love to be able to help you with that. The daily bread that's available is, is one very easy tool to help you get started with that. You can pick those up in the entryway. We have people here at the church who would be willing to meet with you on a regular basis, weekly if you want, uh, to, for guidance, for encouragement, to, for help as you develop uh, those spiritual habits. And come talk to me if that's something that uh, rouses your interest. You need to develop those habits. There. You're not going to get spiritually strong just by accident. And number three, earlier I mentioned that Daniel defied the laws of the land and as Christians, we're supposed to be law-abiding citizens. So how does that work out? Well, that's the point we're going to dig into next week. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you 
that your word is relevant and up-to-date. God, we pray that we can do those things that would develop spiritual habits that would strengthen us spiritually so that we can be prepared for what comes down the road. And Lord, help us to understand that no matter what age we are, 77 or 107, we're not too old, we're not too young to stand firm for Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.